Hi, y'all. Welcome to the Search for Pink podcast. I am the luckiest gal in the world because I am your host, Rebecca Botter. And uh, the Search for Pink podcast is where we talk about people's journeys. Where were they? Where are they now? Where did they go? When they come? Speaking of where did they go? This is like maybe season five. I personally, whenever I look at a a stream of episodes on someone's podcast I never care at all what season it's on um unless you know it's like season means new topic or whatnot um but it's it's probably about five-ish where I lose some steam for some reason and I think the last episode came out 14 14 weeks ago is that right is it? I don't know. Um, the last uh, few episodes that came out um, were amazing conversations, but just really um, led me to sit at Sweet Green crying with my friend Kate. And I, I, I get to a point and no, nothing really excites me for a second. And then last week, I woke up and I was like, I got to talk to Madison. I got to talk to blah, blah, blah guest. I've got to. And then immediately my friend Haley texted me within that day and she was like, I've got a guest for you. So it just kind of happens in waves, and that's how it's always going to be. Today we are talking to Madison Hatfield, everyone. Uh, Madison Hatfield is an actor, writer, now director. We're talking about her directorial debut for quite a bit, uh, Post Citrus, uh, a producer. She is one of the co founders and producers of Peach Jam Picks. So we're talking to Madison. Uh, listening back to this podcast, I, every single time I finish an interview, I go, well, Rebecca, you're not going to have to edit this bad boy because it's perfect. And then I listen to back to it. And then I remember the other half of the conversation was me. And I'm not saying that in like a, oh, I'm so self-deprecating and adorable. No, but like really, um, listening back to yourself have conversations with people when they are sharing something very personal and something that they have a lot of experience with. And then with me coming in and like contributing, it's, it's really interesting because like in the moment, I don't, you know, when you're trying to contribute uh, to a conversation, you're trying to make sure that the other person sees that you're listening and you're engaging and you're like, oh, I have thoughts on this too. And that can lead to great things. A lot of conversations I have on this, I love to have conversations with people with experiences and perspectives I don't have. But then listening back to those conversations, I I think some of the things I say then can lead to her informing so much or other people, which is really amazing. But then also sometimes that's hard to listen back to. Sometimes I just go on a rant and realize that had nothing to do with anything. Um, So hang in tight for all the Madison wisdom and make sure you are following Peach Jam Pictures on Instagram. And then Madison is at madhat31. Uh, So make sure you're following both of those accounts so that you'll know when there are maybe some streaming options for you and uh, when there's going to be another screening. Because after this, you're definitely going to be so excited to check it out. We are back and we are just 
rocking it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Madison, if you're listening, uh, for dealing with all my tactic difficulties. Oh, by the way, you'll hear me immediately apologize for this, but um, there was a man putting tiles on my roof um, and I edited it out the best I could. However, you're still going to get that. And um, a couple nights ago, working on editing that out, I almost just threw my computer out the window. Um, but you're going to be okay. And um, I love you. And I did a great job. And you're doing a great job listening. Um, please do not forget to give this podcast five stars on Spotify and Apple. And uh, leave us a review on Apple if you want. Send this to a friend. Uh, and then just message Madison and thank her for being a superstar. Okay, I love you guys. Enjoy Madison Hatfield. Okay, can you hear a pounding on my side of things? I did briefly. But... Yeah, that's my handyman. He's oh. like, a, he's like, a, I like to say he's expressing himself on the roof. <laughs> um, which we, which we love. Madison, can I officially introduce you? Y'all, uh, Madison has seen me silently curse on a Zoom call, and she can't, she's just seeing this angry woman. (laughs) And so I feel very bonded to you already, and I appreciate you. I I have been where you are. We have all gone to battle with our various devices, and nothing is more frustrating because they can't yell back. They don't curse back. They simply continue to not do what we ask them to do. So I'm just... I'm glad we made it here. Yeah, but. yeah, I am as well. I think we are the better for it. <laughs> and um, anyways, so Madison, um, today I'm hoping to talk about uh, – well, wait, no, I always cut myself off, by the way. I have seen Post Citrus so far, your directorial debut. debut. I've already seen it twice. Maybe I'll watch it again. I love a screener. I love exclusivity. And I loved Post Citrus. You did a fabulous job. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. I I like to start from the beginning, but do we want to just kind of like take a snapshot of how Post Citrus, the release of it, has been? Oh, yeah. We can talk. I mean, it's so recent. We premiered it at the Atlanta Film Festival just a couple Mm -hmm. weeks ago, and we got to have two screenings there. We had a screening at the Plaza at like 10.30 on a Friday, and then another one on the following Tuesday at Dad's Garage. And um, we screened as part of the Georgia Shorts um, Mm -hmm. local block. So I got to screen with some other incredible Georgia and Atlanta filmmakers. Um, And both of the screenings were awesome. The energy was so great. People laughed when I wanted them to laugh. And that's the, you know what? That's like literally it with a comedy. Yeah. uh, You know, it's interesting that comedy, in a way that drama kind of can't, comedy can fail. It can fail if it doesn't actually make people laugh. And so every time I watch my work with other people in the room, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because it can fail at any time, right? Yeah. It, might, it might succeed in one room and fail in another. And uh, anyway, I was really happy that people laughed in both screenings. Um, yes. And also really cool to have, like, especially, like, other fat people come up to me afterwards and be mm-hmm. like, holy shit, like, that – I didn't know I needed to see that. I didn't know I was waiting for something like that. And um, that felt awesome because 
I knew I was waiting for something like that. That's why I made it. Uh, but you always sort of hope that the things that you make for yourself will speak to somebody else. And it's not just fat people who responded well to it, but um, that's who I, that's who I really wanted to feel strongly about it. So it was very gratifying to, um, and very humbling to have, to have other fat people, you know, express that it meant something to them. So that was really, really cool. Can I just read you like a text message I sent to our mutual friend, Kate, Kate Walsh. And I said, I'm rewatching Post Citrus, which she's already seen it. And Madison just said, I'm not ashamed about being fat, Becky. That's you. Uh, that's you putting that on me constantly. And because I love you and I want to make you happy, I let you. And I told her it's my fave line because mm-hmm. I think it's maybe the most personal. And then I said, I don't know. It just stuck around even more the second watch. So that was my little favorite moment. Um, what can you give us like what was your little elevator pitch for it? Um, so if people, no, 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 but like yeah. we all have our elevator pitch for everything we work on. Yeah. I mean, this was such a funny project because I literally was scrolling through Instagram and at some point I saw like flash across my screen, some picture of a woman wearing orange peels as a bikini top. Like I saw someone do that and I just immediately was like, what if I did that? And then I thought about what that would look like and what it would be. And I was like, that's hilarious. Like the the idea that like some people can do that. And if someone else like me tried that, it would be so just different. I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to say different. And I, I think that someone like maybe my friend Taylor had like, just told me there was some like fun, like short film writing competition that people were doing on screenwriter Twitter or whatever. And so I had like short film writing on the brain and I saw this picture and I was texting my collaborator, John O. Mitchell about it and just being like, look at this shit. And then I was like, you know what? I think that there's a, there's a movie here, right? Yeah. Like, there's fun here. But I sat down to write it. I wrote it largely all in one night and it, it didn't change that much from, from when I sat down to write it. It's about an 11 page script. Um, but I think what really surprised me as I went through it and when, when I write fast, I really like it because it's sort of a, I'm, I'm asking the editor side of my brain to take mm-hmm. a rest and mm-hmm. not get in my way. I'm just sort of like, let's just see let's just see what happens. There's no pressure. There's no expectation for this. What's going to come out? And what came out was some of the most honest work I've ever done with regard to fatness and my body. And the line that you said is like one of the more honest things that I've ever mm-hmm. written because it is um, it is the place that I've gotten to. I am not ashamed to be fat anymore. I was for a long time. I was asked to be for a long time by, you know, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of amazing and I'm proud to be in a place where I'm not ashamed to be fat. Mm-hmm. But I do still struggle with wanting to make other people happy. And that's why it took me 30 years to get to a place where I wasn't ashamed anymore because I felt like my body inherently in simply existing in the way that it was made people unhappy. It didn't make me unhappy. I was Mm. not an unhappy kid, but I sensed from my doctors and adults in my life and other kids in my life, you know, TV, movies, everything gave me the impression by design that they were unhappy with my body. And so 
having to get to a place where I value my own happiness over other people's, that's another battle in and of itself, which I think mm -hmm. a lot of people, uh, a journey a lot of people are on. Um, but yeah, so that that notion of I love you, I want to make you happy. And so I let you believe certain things about me and say certain things to me. And even just Becky loves her friend, you know, mm -hmm. like Becky loves Stephanie, but she's loving her wrong. And it's it's hard to tell somebody who loves you that they're loving you wrong. Um, but that's a really important conversation to have in a, in a million different contexts. And so for this movie, it's it's about telling your best friend that she's loving you wrong with regards yeah. to how you see yourself, how you how you live in your body. Um, and I think that a Jade Fernandez, who plays Becky, um, the, the lead character's best friend, um, is incredible and so was so open to playing that character. I think some people would have been like, oh, I don't want to do that. But she jumped right in. And something that's made me so proud is that ever since being a part of this project, she has told me that she sort of looks at the world in a different way and has really started reading articles on fat liberation and fat politics and sort of the the really deep political scholarship around fatness. Uh, mm -hmm. It's so superficial for most of us, but there are people doing incredible scholarship about why we feel so strongly about fat people. And she is now engaging in those spaces. And she was like, I never had to think about this before. And I was like, of course you didn't. I, I, I don't expect thin people to have thought very much about what it's like living mm -hmm. in a fat body. Um, and not just from a like body positivity, like, you know, feeling at home in our skin perspective, but from mm -hmm. a like, what's it like to travel? What's it like to go to the doctor? What's it, you know, like there's, our world is not set up for bodies like mine and larger than mine. Um, and it's, it's really cool that one of uh, my actors and, and I think probably all my actors look at the world a little bit differently. And I hope the mm -hmm. people who watch it will look at the world a little bit differently, maybe um, with regards to, to fatness um, and, and sort of what we deserve uh, from our friends, especially. Yeah. And I, I think another moment I really loved is Becky, the best friend to your character. Yeah, you're you at one point you're like, that's not gonna fit. And then she's like, Oh, like, don't say that about yourself. And, and like that just like I that was just so funny and true that like I, there have been thing like um there are just I don't know, some things that I've come to accept about myself. And then people are like, girlfriend, no. And you're like, well, no, it's okay. I feel like you don't like it more about me than I don't like it about me, you know? Um, what, just out of curiosity, what's what's been the big laugh? Is there something consistent? That, I mean, that line uh, that comes right after that moment. Yeah, because she said, um, She's like, you're just so sure that you won't fit in the grapefruit. And I wish you wouldn't see yourself that way. Yes, and, yes. And my character says, I'm not ashamed. I just have spatial reasoning skills. Yeah. <laughs> and that does get a big laugh every time. Um, big laugh when she gives her full name and address to yes. the hot photographer in the beginning. Yes. That, that The whole entrance of the photographer is a we winner. We love some female gays. We, we, the, as I was like, I was watching it happen. I was like, this is the female gaze and yeah. we need some of this. It was, it was important to me to have a 
traditionally sort of socially accepted handsome man in that mm-hmm. role and and Chase obviously Chase Anderson who plays mm-hmm. Maddox the hot photographer um does that beautifully he is also <laughs> the kindest and best of us uh but I love yeah I love I love a moment where we where we get to just like do a little slow-mo and mm-hmm. uh play some sax heavy music and just linger in it. We and just like, I think a fan was blowing. Um, Probably. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, or it looked like it did. I love uh, that movies give us a chance to do that, right? It gives mm-hmm. us a chance to like look at other people and, and look at other people as someone else is looking at them. You know, like mm. it's such a, fun, empathetic exercise. And, you know, I think that my goal is to just expand the imagination of what we think of, the kinds of people and bodies that we think of when we Mm -hmm. are like, oh yeah, I want to go watch attractive people on screen. Um, Because people are attracted to all kinds of people, but movies make us think that there's this very narrow band of what is actually attractive and that's bullshit. And movies teach us things, you know, like I was taught that I was not in that band and therefore I was not attractive. Movies were a huge part of that. And then I dedicate my life to making them what's wrong with me. But yeah, I, I, someone like Chase is incredibly attractive. Mm -hmm. I am also, you know? And so I, I wanted to put the two of us together because that makes sense. Yeah. It's just, sense as you know him and jade or whoever there is a face you make that you should like change to your headshot where your like mouth comes open a little bit and you make the cutest face (laughs) in the world and i was just anyways um but like we both grew up because um uh, we're about the same age and we both grew up Mm -hmm. in like heroin chic and now Mm. i have a 14 year old little sister who is a dancer Mm. so like Mm. i am still very aware of this but I've actually said this to multiple of our peers. When I saw Hilary Duff in her This Is What Dreams Are Made Of moment, as a tiny child, I thought she was fat. Looking back, she literally has low-rise pants where, like, the most – you have to be flat as a board to do that, like, almost pubic bone moment. And I literally remember thinking, like, as like a, because I was a chubby kid, I was like, oh, oh, cool. She looks more like me. And then looking back, I'm like, Rebecca, she was a size two. But I still processed that as fat. And yeah, she was like I, 15, you know? That's yeah, so messed yeah. up. Yeah, Hollywood has very much skewed our notion of of what bodies look like um, mm-hmm. in general. And, and we end up celebrating body diversity in really unusual ways that are like, oh, I is that, uh, is she actually fat? Um, you know, like, yeah. and it's, and it's a different conversation, right? Like the conversation that exists around fat representation in media is one conversation. And then there's also the conversation about fat liberation and fat justice and like making the world a better, safer, more respectful, more dignified place for fat people. I am not a scholar. I am not, you know, I, I I engage with those spaces and I read that work, but I feel like I'm better positioned to talk about, you know, fat representation. And the, the term that I use a lot is the fat gap, um, which is this notion or this idea of 
the percentage of people who are watching film and television who are fat, right? The percentage of the population and then the percentage of characters that we see on film and TV who are fat. And the gap between those two percentages is mm -hmm. enormous. And that's something that's been measured by people who take data on this sort of thing. And it's also something that I, as a fat kid who became a fat teen, who became a fat adult and has been watching for fat people in every single thing that I've ever seen. Like, it's also something that I have felt over and over and over again. Um, and yeah, I think that because, again, the powers that be are showing us such a narrow band of what is attractive and what we should see, quote unquote, on screen. Mm -hmm. We, we have a, an entirely skewed notion of what bodies look like, you know, and let alone what's attractive. It's like, oh, God. And then at the same time, it's like we don't because we live in the world and we love people. Like we, we, we see, we love, we, we experience all manner of human emotion with people who look in all manner of ways. Um, but, but what we see on screen is important. And that's why uh, closing the fat gap is, you know, just a huge mm -hmm talking point, at least of mine, and something that I'm trying to address, at least in my in my own work, um, as I can. And I just want, I don't want young people, young fat people in particular, to grow up, you know, the way that, that we did, right? Our generation, mm -hmm. thinking Hillary Duff was a, you know, body positive role model, right? Like, she's great. I love Hillary Duff, but she's not fat. No. And she, she's not a fat icon, right? Like we, we need actual fat icons and we need a lot of them, right? I think that people are like, oh, well, look at A.D. Bryant or, you know, and then it's mm -hmm. like, okay, can you name me 10 more? And it's like, people will maybe get to five, right? Like, and, yeah. and it's like, how many, how many thin white actresses can you name, right? Like there's, there's, this idea that there's only room for a certain number of, you know, fat actors or, and, you know, and I think this applies to a lot of, uh, you know, intersections of marginalization, but mm -hmm. this idea that there can only, you know, we only have room for a handful. And it's like, well, we've got fistfuls upon fistfuls of this, this other type. So anyway, all this to say, <laughs> Closing the fat gap, one one movie at a time, one show at a time. I think that people are talking about it. It is my job to make more people talk about it. That's that's all I'm trying to do. Yeah, and it's not even like, oh, this you must do this as a right. fat actor, but it's also it's something that you are great at writing at or writing at. It's something that you're great at writing. And it's something that like you're, you obviously have put a lot of like thought into it because I also know different people from marginalized groups are sick and tired of being asked. Like, like if you ask me what it's like to be a, like yeah. very clichely, like, oh, mm -hmm. how do I balance being a mom and being an actor? Mm -hmm. Like if anyone asked me that one more mm -hmm. time, you know, but yeah. um, but also this is something that you're a fantastic thinker and writer and you've thought a lot about this. Yeah. Can I ask, um, uh, has how often are the roles that you are sent or auditioned for have to do? Because I watched your Dynasty thing and I watched your Atlanta thing. Neither one of those had to do with um, with your weight. Does does that ever come across or did yeah. it? Uh, well, I will say um, that there are – there are – code words in the normal 
<laughs> I, I get a lot of normal I, people. I get I've I've gotten like everyday people and I or not model type. I've gotten a lot yeah. of not yeah. models. Yeah, you know, lots of not model type. So I remember for Dynasty that character in the breakdown, the words lazy and incompetent were both in there, and I was like, I stand a chance at this, <laughs> and. The Atlanta one, I was for a long time, I was like, interesting. Why, why did I book this one? Why did I book this one? When I finally got the script in the first um introduction of that character, they describe her being in ill-fitting pants. And I was like, that's where you got the idea that she was fat. Like there are just these like little, there are these little like, it's not saying fat, but yeah. it's like. Okay, that's because and and here's the thing. I I want to see fat people on screen. Like sure. I if you are a writer and you're thinking, "Oh, I think it would make sense or I would like to see a fat person in this role." Particularly when you know, once it airs, it really doesn't matter, right? For neither of those roles doesn't matter. Um but I think it's interesting that through the process of casting and through the process of selecting that these suggestions, though not explicitly said, we want a plus size actor, we want a fat actor. Uh I think that lazy and incompetent Uh got labeled as fat. And I Uh think that ill-fitting pants got labeled as fat. And that benefited me as a, as a worker. But I, you know, I, I think that I would just challenge writers casting directors, whoever, that that's great. Like if if that's what you're seeing and if that's what the director wants, very, very cool. We can also be submitted for the projects that just say things like cool, confident, (laughs) smart, you know, like it, it, it it isn't that I don't want to be sent out for the roles that I booked. Like those were really enjoyed doing them. Um, but I, I hate that when I see things like normal type, not, not, not a model. I'm like, ooh, I stand a better chance than when I see like confident businesswoman or smart professor or, mm-hmm. you know, even like mom stuff. It's like if it's tired mom, I'm golden. If mm-hmm. it's put together mom, I'm probably screwed. And that's unfortunate that that's where I'm at, <laughs> like even thinking about it. So I try to be mindful of that when I'm writing, right? Mm-hmm. And when I'm thinking about roles and, and and you know, making sure that I'm, you know, just how are people, the words that I'm using, how are mm-hmm. people going to perceive those and and what are they going to therefore imagine in their head? Um, and am I doing a good service to the world through that or a less than good service to the world? Yeah, I keep getting caught up because honestly, my first reaction to ill-fitting pants, I kind of love that. As yeah. a descriptor, it like it says so much. Like yeah. you know, if I'm wearing pants that are like falling off of me because I'm not paying attention to myself, yeah. or yeah. sometimes people just wear a size of pants too small, and you're yeah. like, 
your pants are too small. You know, I so will have to look it up because it might have been unflattering pants. It might okay. have been fitting. It might have been unflattering. Whatever it was. Yeah. No, I'm just yeah. saying, like, as a writer oh, or yeah. as I someone, I, I think it's actually like a, it really like gives you a mental image, but I think yeah. it's interesting. I don't know if it's the director or the casting director. If yeah. it if it did say ill-fitting pants, I'm wondering whose brain did mm-hmm. that filter through and yeah. go like okay, cool. Yeah. Now we can bring in someone that's not a size two. Yay. Like, <laughs> yeah. We are changing yeah. the world. You know, I absolutely know that they did not only audition fat people for the role in Atlanta that I booked. I absolutely, I know that with a hundred percent certainty, but I, but I do think that that, that, that little phrase mm-hmm. opened their imagination, right. Yeah. In a way that I appreciate because you're right it may be that they wouldn't have thought of that had that little descriptor not been in there. And I agree. I really like it. I'm not mad at it. I'm yeah. Not like as it. a, as a writer, I think it's, yeah, I think it's great. Gives I you think a lot. it's great. And especially because that role went on to have nothing to do with her being fat or mm-hmm. ugly or undesirable or, you know, she was terrible in her yeah. own way. Um, but it was, it had nothing to do with her being fat. Um, yeah. And I am happy to play a bad guy as long as my bad guyness is not, not all wrapped up in my in my body. In yeah, side. yeah. I think it's interesting that um, just like through observation and what I've heard other people say is like so much of a storyline of a fat character has to do with like either I learn to accept myself or I don't learn to accept myself, you know, or it's like yeah. – and you're just kind of – and also I remember there's this series and it sounds kind of like – a kinky, but I watched it and it's like Jemima Kirk did it and it was on YouTube and all these women are telling their stories and then they take all their clothes off. Whatever. Anyways, it's all these different kinds of body types and I have – everybody like has some kind of form of body dysmorphia and whatever, but I remember I was like watching all these interviews because they were really good and I remember actually like for a few weeks afterwards – feeling like way more at peace about my body and like hers. I don't think it looked just like mine, but she's so cool and sexy and she's just got this great accent and she's just like stripping. And then she's just got this like, and she's just like, like, you know, just like laying there, just sprawling. And I was like, ah, like she's so cool. And it's just like, it's so interesting because in the real world, the real world, but like th- different, cool, hot, sexy people look so different, yeah. you know? And then it's interesting that on film, we only see it a really specific, specific way. And also I was just in LA and I really didn't interact with that many people, to be honest. Um, I just like was working with a friend and we just stayed in her apartment. But, um, but like, just kind of um, – and Maddie, I know – you know I adore you. And all of her friends seem like the nicest, sweetest, coolest humans in the world. But I do think being in that surrounded by people mm-hmm. who look really, really similar, it does really mm-hmm. start to warp your mind. Yeah. You know? And I wonder also if like so many people making the rules – I don't know. Um, yeah. 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 I think we've been subjected to the sexual tastes of a certain class of men for a Mm. really long time. You know, like I think that that's 
up at the top, there are yeah. people. And, you know, those those sort of tastes were established a long time ago. And it, it's easy to just now maintain that status quo. Um, and it's, yeah, it's harmful for all of us. People who live in LA, I do know, I know people who have had their sense of what a body is feel mm -hmm. very, very warped. And all of us, I think, are under varying degrees of brainwashing from mm -hmm. film and media. Um, and it's, it's all wrapped up in capitalism, right? Like it's all wrapped up in, in keeping us unhappy so that we pay money to change ourselves and, and feel a certain way. But I think that as we make the process of media more democratic and we provide opportunities for people to see more humans mm -hmm. <laughs> in all of their glory, that the the experience that you're describing of like I'm more at peace with my body, like that's you know for social media I'm on it less than I was before, but I really I really I block ads. I make sure that I follow you know fat creators and mm -hmm. fat models, and you know I really try to when I consume media I'm intentional about seeking out as many different kinds of bodies as I can find. That has to do with size, that but that you know there are. Of so many ways that our bodies are different from one another. And, and so I think that feeling like immersing yourself in the comfort of other people's confidence, mm -hmm. who they genuinely are, that is powerful. Like that, that experience that you're, that you're talking about, like you can take, that's a way of taking care of yourself is, yeah. is, is to really monitor what you're consuming and, noticing when you've been given an ad or have been given a profile that starts to chip away at that sense of ease and comfort that you have it with yourself and being able to say, oh, I don't want that. No, and, thank you. And, and it's so sneaky because like there was an influencer that like all this like drama started around and I used to love her. And it, she approaches everything from like wellness and self-love and taking care of yourself but it was also very like to take care of myself i'm going to only eat these protein bars for a week because that's what makes me feel good because i'm taking care of myself and it's like but it's very subtle you know it's like it's like mm -hmm. it's and it it I, I mean, and that came up after like a few months of following her where I already right. was like, I love her sneaker suggestions <laughs> and I like her right. advice, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But like, and then I, um, I clicked on this fitness app like once a couple weeks ago because I was looking, I was like, if I, I like, I want to, I want to be, I like to be handed like a schedule, like a mm -hmm. regular schedule. Yeah. And so I was like, maybe this will be a good one. And I kid you not. As soon as I did that Instagram, every single targeted ad it sends me, I was like, this is inappropriate, actually. And yeah. it like in and all I had to do was interact with it once. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Instagram was like, oh, we got her. You know, yeah. um, and uh, I don't need to look at that. No, I don't none know. Of us do. Yeah. So <laughs> anyways, um, Madison, yes. would you like to tell me? Um, about your childhood. So, um, no, no, no. I have a theory that um, people that listen know. I have a theory that actors are either, either um, we're like very like shy, kind mm. of like reserved kids and acting kind of as like where they came into their own. That was me. Um, okay. And, or they were like very sparkly kids that were just like, I'm a star. And just like kind of naturally wanted to entertain 
their mm. peers and family, um, yeah. especially peers. I was very entertaining at home, but um, it, that was where I was able to finally like start talking was yeah. when I started acting. What were you? Yeah. I would definitely say I lean more in the natural entertainer category. Um, I loved to, yeah, read books out loud that I'd memorized. I loved to like reenact movies that I watched. Um, I started building characters. I did Elvis impersonations as a very young child. So definitely... Um, definitely loved to, I love to make people laugh. And I mean, I think that part of not to tie everything back to being fat, um, but being a fat kid, I, I definitely had this sense, even as a very young child, that something about me that was wrong and I couldn't really change it. And so if I couldn't give people what they wanted, in the physical form that I had, then I needed to be the smartest and the nicest and the funniest. And I was, I mean, I really like, I, I really leaned into that sort of responsibility and I enjoyed being the kind of person that people wanted to be around. And, and I hate thinking about this, looking back on it, but it almost felt like in spite of quote unquote, the, the body that I was in. Um, and, but I didn't, you know, I didn't jump straight into acting. I was, I was a teacher for a while. Um, I was a high school science teacher. I went to college for biology. It was, it, but it was, it was a, it was a path that sort of was always sort of living in my gut somewhere. And when I was sort of presented with a choice um, in terms of like a direction that my career could go, you know what, I think I'm going to try this other version of living for a little while and see how it goes. Um, and it's, this is it for me, you know, like, it's like, oh, no, this is this is the 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 path that I that I need to be on. And I have no regrets at all about the other life that I lived and no regrets at all about the time that I spent in that world. Um, and especially with those kids. But I am very, I'm very happy writing filmmaking. And I think that, I think that people who knew me as a kid would not be surprised, you know, people who knew mm. me as a kid would not be surprised that this is where I ended up. I, I love that you said, um, in like, I needed to be the smartest and the funniest. I also mm. love that you said the nicest. Do you know what the Enneagram is? I do. I don't know what I am. Mm. Or I've had people guess, uh, and I think I remember what they said, but, what, um, do you remember their guess? I think they said two. Yeah. I was going to say two. Yeah. Well, you're like the the helper, um, yeah. which also is hard because like the helper is someone who's like very giving, very loving. And, um, and part of it is like also socially conditioned as women. Yeah. It's yeah. like a lot of Southern women. I don't know mm -hmm. where you're originally from, but I a lot of, yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of Southern women are trained to be twos. Yeah. And, um, but like actually when they like kind of like dig through all of it, maybe they're not, but you mm -hmm. seem delightful and attentive and lovely. <laughs> so um, I'm sure you are. But uh, what was the time where you teaching and you were like, I don't want to do this anymore? Yeah. Yeah. It was um, basically I was teaching at a school and my husband was also working at that school and he got promoted and we sort of found out he was going to take that promotion. I was no longer going to be able to be at the school because of a reading of the nepotism policy. And 
they were like, well, we can't fire you, but we don't have another high school to send you to, but we could send you to the middle school. And so I was sort of like, okay, I don't really want to teach middle school. No offense to middle schoolers, uh, but the most I, dramatic time no, of anyone's you. life. Me personally, um, you know, my husband's like, I just won't take the job. And I was like, well, I don't know about that because uh, it was a good job. Um, but he still has it. <laughs> and, you know, I had been doing a ton of comedy. Like I was doing a lot of improv, a lot of sketch. I was really loving the idea of like moving beyond film sketches and like, could I be in, in longer works, you know, just for my friends. And, um, you know, I, I talked to my husband about it and I was like, I, I wonder if this could be a time that I could take a less, you know, brutal job because teaching, I loved it, but it, it, it takes so much of you. It's really hard to truly pursue anything else. So I was like, what if I get, you know, a less demanding job and I can pursue this. And he was like, I didn't want to influence your decision. I didn't want to make you think that I was trying to push you in any particular direction. I thought we were going to have this conversation a year ago. You know, like he was like, I thought that wow. this sooner, I think that this is exactly what you should be doing. And so if that's what you want to do, then let's do that. And yeah. um, so I left teaching and I started working at an independent children's bookstore, which was a great way to keep me around kids and around learning, but in a much more flexible environment. Um, I did that for five years. And then almost exactly a year ago, I uh, I quit that to do this work full time. It's been awesome. It, it was a really great job for me to have. And I met a lot of people who I adore um, and who inspire me. And, you know, anyone who tells stories in any form is, uh, is an inspiration to me. And so to sort of be immersed in the book side in that way was really, really cool. Um, and yeah, I miss you know, people are like, do you miss teaching? And I'm like, of course there are things I miss about it. You know, like it was, it's a very, it's, it's so full of meaning and purpose, right? Like every day I woke up and I was like, I mean, are they going to give a fuck about the mitochondria years from now? Like probably not, but I was the kind of teacher. Like I told, I told those kids, I loved them every day. And they were like, ah, what? Stop. No. But I was like, nope, I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so at the very least, you know, I got to like either say or show love to, you know, teenagers. Um, and they needed it. They didn't think that they did, but they needed it a little bit. You miss the bookstore. And like, of course, I miss like being around children and like telling stories and and all that stuff. Um, and, and freelancing is hard. It's much more solitary. Um, I have to make my own schedule and, you know, get my own shit done. But it just felt like it was time. Um, and I yeah. and I still feel that way. So and I feel incredibly grateful to be in a place where it is financially and logistically feasible for me to, to do it. So yeah. Um, yeah, I feel really grateful. I don't know if you remember this interaction. I think our like only one um, for quite a bit was when you wrote the period drama over quarantine yeah. and you like sent it out. I read it twice. I like, you sent me one version and then I read it and I was like, here are my thoughts. And you were like, I don't know you. And then you were like, I have an updated version. And I was like, great. And I like, just sat down and I read it again and I love it. I hope you get to make that one one day. Um, that one too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fabulous. And um, it's a secret I will keep. And I remember I told you, it reminded me of Austin Land. And then yes. you were like, 
I've met Shannon Hale and I was just like, oh, <laughs> yes. No, right. Harriet the first. Yeah. Harriet the first. That's is, what you named it. Two different things. I couldn't yeah. remember what. Well, it is now Harriet the first colon a fat period piece. Um, she's making the Hollywood rounds now. She, she's she's out. Is. In yeah. Yeah. So we'll the goal. The goal is still to make that dang movie. Um, I just need if anyone has like 10 million ish dollars. Um, that's all. That's the I issue mean. with her, though, is she needs a budget. She does. Um, she needs a budget. Yeah. But. Is it? It is it. Does it take place in the UK or is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. England. Um. In eighteen thirty three. Yeah. You know, just, just like manners. Small. Just like yeah, how about like, house pitch Horses. it to to Shonda. Shonda. We were like, hey, we've got a cute little, we got a cute little moment for you. You've already got all that Bridgerton stuff just sitting yeah. around. I know. I know. Let me just get on there. And I'll do it real quick. You won't even know that I'm there. You no, won't I, even know that I'm there. I'm very, I'm very excited. It took a while for my reps to, um, I think, come around to it as something that was useful <laughs> and yeah. marketable. Um, because it is a weird, you know, it's a period piece, but it's fat, but it's, uh, you know, got modern elements to it. I'm very grateful that I think, I, I, I feel like it was an exec from a certain company who read it and like responded so strongly mm. to it. And they were like, Oh, you know, sometimes it takes someone else <laughs> being just, like, no, this one. <laughs> it's the right thing. Yeah. there. It's kind of like a little bit of like Dickinson and like Bridgerton. Yeah. I, I totally get why it was, it took them a minute to like feel it out. Um, but, you know, so many people that I've sent it to have responded so strongly to it. Mm -hmm. Fat and not fat people alike. And it just makes me happy. I love that script so much. Yeah. And I think everything sometimes like has its time and place in its moment. And mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting when actually sometimes you see pieces that were released 10 years earlier and you were like, or like 10 years early. And you're like, wait, if this was come out today, I have a theory about uh, what's her face, Kira Knightley's Anna, Anna, Karenina, mm -hmm. Anna Karenina. I, people hate it. I think here is theory, my theory. I think if it would have come out today, people would have lost their minds. And I think it came out 10 years too early. Mm. Um, I feel very strongly about that. But okay. um, but also, okay, mm, controversial opinion. Here we go. Um, Promising Young Woman, I think it was released 10 years too late. I, mm. think, I think it was a very – like, because she was pitching it before the Me Too movement. I can't believe I'm putting this on file because this is something I whisper behind closed doors. <laughs> but I think she was pitching it before the Me Too movement. Nobody got it, and she pitched it by explaining that first initial scene, and none of the producers got it. But then once the Me Too movement happened, everyone's like, oh, we got to make girl stuff. And um, <laughs> and then I think I, I, I think it, it makes sense that this was an idea she, like, marinated on for 10 years because then some of it was very I believe like tone deaf like mm. um having her best friend be like the magical trans fairy godmother have you mm -hmm. seen it I'm talking mm -hmm. to you as if you have mm -hmm. yeah That's it was it. just like and it's interesting because like on none of the promos you you don't see her on any of the promos anything because everybody's like oops oops ooh, we we like you know like do you have opinions? Let's just talk about 
let's talk about one of like the possibly not controversial controversial to me um did you do you have strong opinions on promising young woman <sighs> promising young woman um i i thought promising young woman was a really interesting film from a directing standpoint like i was really fascinated by um the color choices, the framing choices, the song choices, fabulous song choices. Like I thought, I thought it was, um, I thought it was a really interesting packaging for a story that I sort of agree with you. Like felt a little bit behind where we currently were, and I think you're, I think that you're right. It, it probably was a case of a great story being foiled from a timing perspective by mm -hmm. men not thinking it was worth making. It made me really excited about Emerald Fennel as a director. It mm -hmm. made me really excited about what else she could do. Um, but I, I was very, I was really hopeless at the end when she died. Like I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't feel powerful at the end of it. I, I went into it expecting to feel empowered and I ended mm -hmm. up feeling really upset. Um, mm -hmm. But Art makes us feel things, you know, like it certainly made me feel things. And I don't think that it was a, a failed film at mm -hmm. all. I, I just reacted to it in a way that um, I'm really excited to see what Emerald Fennel does because it's speaking you're, of promising. You're saying, yeah, she's a promising young woman. No, like, I think you're like literally saying everything. I, I listened to the whole uh, uh, like a podcast tour. Mm -hmm. I listen to all of it. I enjoy her opinions. Whenever we get the next um Emerald Fennell movie, it's gonna be someone actually like fifteen years more experienced than Promising yeah. Young Woman. I'm gonna be like there as soon as it opens. I yeah. like. I am so excited for it. But um, yeah, I just, I felt like the end of the movie was giving the middle finger to people, but I mm -hmm. felt like it was giving the middle finger to the wrong people. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then also just as like, a, I don't know if this is like a director or maybe an actor standpoint, but I, you could tell that when someone is afraid of being associated with something they don't believe in, like these mm -hmm. men who are playing these creepy bad guys, I don't appreciate and I don't think it's okay. As an actor, I think you need to like live truthfully. It, even mm -hmm. if it's a stereotype, it is your job to flesh something mm -hmm. out. And mm -hmm. the men, I thought some of them were not comfortable playing not a good guy. So they yeah. played a caricature of not a good guy. Yeah. And I was like, wow, you're actually – this is so judgy of me. Well, how much has <laughs> Rebecca? Rebecca, how much have you booked? Um, no. Um, <laughs> um, no, but I have opinions. Um, but it's like it's your job to play something truthfully because it actually doesn't advance us at all if you're playing, um, unless for some reason you need to play, which is sometimes the case, an archetype of someone. Um, mm -hmm. Not okay. I, it's not useful for you to. Because, like, I know guys who yeah. suck like that. And guess yeah. what? They're very dynamic. Yeah. And what's scary about them is actually how dynamic they are. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just like – just like – oh, I almost said vibrating. Just like vibrating with random toxic masculinity. Like <laughs> – dogs and humping the chair helps no one because no man is watching that going oh that's me yeah yeah exactly so anyways oh. that's why um i like nuance so madison 
what are what is <laughs> uh, um i i've i really like, have had so much coffee today um <laughs> Also, I just love talking to you. Um, yes. So what are you working on now? Y'all have a few things in the docket. Y'all have got Miles from Nowhere coming up. Y'all, as in um, your production company, Peach Jam. Do you yeah. only make stuff with Peach Jam? Do you? Um, In terms of independent stuff, you, yeah, usually if I'm, if, you know, if either Jono or I are involved in the writing or directing of it, we'll, we'll slap mm -hmm. the Peach Jam logo on there. Um, but I, I certainly work on other people's independent projects um, as a as an actor or, or writer. Hire me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we so Miles from Nowhere premiered as part of the Atlanta Film Festival, and it's now you know going to do some other festivals. Um, and we filmed that back to back in early 2021 with a horror comedy called Courtney Gets Possessed, mm -hmm. which is almost done, <laughs> and will premiere um, just in a premiere that we organize ourselves in Atlanta this summer. Um, and then we'll seek distribution for that as well. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, and we shot three shorts in 2021. 30 Candles is released and on Deku, which is a gay streaming service that anyone mm. can access. Um, Post Citrus is, is, premiered, but still on the festival tour. So not totally available online. And then the third one is making a scene, which is a queer teen short, um, that we're still working on, but should premiere sometime later this year. Um, we are looking at filming more features this year in the back half of the year. Um, wild times. Uh, and then, you know, Jono and I, um, have representation as, mm -hmm. as, uh, writers and directors out in LA and we are, you know, always meeting with people and kicking around ideas. We recently did a book adaptation, which was really fun for a mm. studio, taking a, a YA book and turning it into a feature script. Um, I would say the name, but I can't. Yeah. So that was like a very cool, like, oh, you're a big kid now mm -hmm. kind of moment to be mm -hmm working with a studio like that. And they were so supportive and so um, kind. And, you know, it's really hard. The first yes is really hard because mm -hmm. this is a business full of people who've been doing it for a long time. Um, and it, it's very easy to say yes to somebody who's got an IMDb three miles long because you know they can do it. But mm -hmm. I was really grateful that the studio saw two very new people <laughs> And recognize that we were the best for the job, that we were mm -hmm. going to do the best job taking that book and turning it into a feature. And because they said yes to us, that now makes it a hundred times easier for someone else to say yes to us the next time. And that's going to make it a hundred times easier. And and so I'm really grateful to people who will say yes to new voices. But I also am really grateful that I'm in a town and in a community of people who um, and I think especially from an acting perspective, right? Like doing the independent work that we do and putting myself in there, I was like, this is going to make it easier and it's going to broaden the imagination of the casting directors and the producers and the directors here who maybe don't see me in a body like mine in anything but a very, very small set of characters or stereotypes. And it's like, no, actually, <laughs> I can do anything. And here, I'm going to show you so you don't just have to take my word for it. Um, and I love that. I love, 
I love saying yes. So it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool life. Yeah. No, that's so exciting that you've been able to do all of this for freelance for a year. That's, that's the dream. And as you were talking, it reminded me, have you seen that like clip of Lady Gaga saying like, there's a thousand people in a room and you just need one purse to say yes. And and I love that it's like, no one wants Lady Gaga. I think she already had like a golden globe at this point. Have you seen this clip? I, maybe. It is acting 101, baby, because it is a super cut of the award circuit. And she says that every single time. And the, like the intonation is different every time. It's like doing takes and each take is fresh. She says it so many. And she is like, so like, she is telling you this. And it is chef's kiss. It is like, (laughs) it's this great mix of someone being dead inside. And then also (laughs) giving like the performance of a, Frigian lifetime. By the way, Madison, I knew that we could have this beautiful conversation and I knew that we were going to connect because I be- I don't think I've said this yet, but at Kate's reading, do you remember that there was a line that Kellen Boyle said about uh, His Girl Friday? There was a His Girl Friday line and we both laughed and we were the only people to laugh. And then I looked back at you <laughs> and we just had this like moment of complete understanding why this was funny. And I was just like, there can just be two people in a room. And if one other person <laughs> gets the joke, no. Um, and I was like, okay, I, I get Madison. This is going to be fun. Um, I love that. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't that. know. I don't know if you remembered it, but um, I do. No, I totally do. I, I love, I love that um, moment because it's, it's like, I can't remember if it's a joke, but he just, he mentions you realize like, oh my God, he's like you. Cause yeah. <laughs> it was like a, Ooh, I don't think yes. it was even a laugh so much as like, <gasps> like excitement that like, it's just, oh, Kate, she, yeah. it, was, it was so good. Um, I think I've already told Kate, I was just going to love it no matter what, but I, it was such a delight to like watch and like truly love it. When I saw the description for Post Citrus, just mm-hmm. the summary of it, I was just like, yes, yes. There's like an influencer. I don't remember if I sent this to you. I don't remember what I do have the time, <laughs> but there's an influencer and she's in Atlanta and she's like an A cup and you're like anything on those like small bodies we've been conditioned to say it looks chic but she like cut tomatoes in half and had the tops of the tomatoes just like on her boobs and then just tied with dental floss and then it's just her like neck down to her torso and I'm not like making fun of her because like do you wear little tomatoes on like as a bra like okay but I just I I think I had seen that picture very recently and then I saw your description and I was like, you're right. Small, not always, but women with smaller chests love to put inanimate objects as bras, you know, and just like, I, I don't know. It's yeah. like, it's. Um, I never think to do that. I no. never, it's, never it's, once have I thought. No, I've, I've never been like, you know what's fun? Cause like, I actually didn't realize I'm like a, like a C. So okay. I'm not trying to like fling them into stuff, you know, yeah. but uh, <laughs> what are some characters that you've seen written um, in television and film that you thought 
were like really well fleshed out char- like fat characters. Um, so Shrill on Hulu um, was important. I'm glad mm-hmm. that Shrill exists. Season one of Shrill felt revolutionary. Um, you've got two incredible fat characters. You have the main character, Annie, and then her mm-hmm. best friend, Fran, um, who's a fat queer black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, as the seasons went on, I had hoped that they would sort of pull away from some of the explicit, like, this is what it's like to be fat in the world and just like, let her be fat in the world and and let her live. And, you know, now we're watching something that feels like, you know, Fleabag or mm-hmm. Sex in the City or, you know, whatever it is. And it's just like, oh, they just are fat. But I, I actually thought as it went on, Fran sort of got to do that. That character. Got I was to just about to say that Fran got to, yeah, do whatever so she wanted. I thought I, I ended up feeling most um, seen and whole when I watched mm-hmm. Fran um, because they sort of let her exist outside of this sort of conversation around fatness. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other ones? This is bad. Look no, at it's it's no. I mean, like, um, does is this a reflection on you or is this a reflection no, well, on society? Socially, um, she's not fat, um, but she's not as thin. But um, Rose Modafeo, who's in Starstruck, she's the creator writer. It's incredible. I mean, oh, it's just okay. so clever and charming. It's it's Notting Hill, but TV and genders oh, reverse. She again. Not a fat actor, but definitely outside the usual mold. I was uh, very thrilled that she just sort of got to to be and live. Would you say like book smart Beanie Feldstein? Oh yeah, Beanie Feldstein. I can't like she she's sort of it's like yes, fat is such a weaponized word, mm. um, and I am hesitant to use it about people when I don't know what their feelings are on the word it is totally. a word that I use proudly. It is a descriptor of me and I don't feel any ill will towards that word. Um, so with regards to Beanie Feldstein, I don't know if she refers to herself as fat. Uh, certainly she is not thin. Um, but yeah, I love Booksmart and I loved her in Booksmart. I definitely saw a lot of myself as a kid in, in her and Booksmart. Yeah, I can feel that actually. A great, a great um, example, yeah, of a character who is not fitting the mold and that role has nothing to do with that, right? Like mm-hmm. she was just there being a friend, good and bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love, I, I love that movie. Um, I really, really do. Um, so, but again, it's like she's, She's sort of in between, right? Like Beanie Feldstein mm-hmm. can shop at any store that she wants, right? And to be clear, and I know this is a podcast, people can't see me. Like I am what is considered small fat in the fat community, right? Like I am uh, able to shop in most stores as well. Um, and I recognize that there's a huge amount of privilege that is conferred upon me being mm-hmm. a small fat. Um, and it's also, I think, my job to point out that there are bodies that are fatter than mine, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm putting myself in things because I'm me and I can do that. Uh, but I I am not the ceiling, right? Like I am the floor. So uh, that's that's another thing to consider. But yeah, Beanie Feldstein, um, I do love her. And I mean, I think that's like, unfortunately, like you, there aren't many people up above that. You know, like there's-, there's No. Just, 
and and the and the roles that I'm thinking of when we when we look at people who are mid fats and super fats and infinite fats, like that's that's really where you start getting into everything about their character revolves around their size, and yes. that's what we're talking about. So, yes. um, yeah, it's incremental. It's like okay. <laughs> We can get Beanie Feldstein in there. Okay, we're we're getting okay. Melissa McCarthy. She's smaller than she used to be, but oh, she's in there. You know, it's like you're like it's constantly banging on the door to nudge it inch by inch by inch, and there's just the urge to blow the fucking thing off its hinges. Mm-hmm. You're like, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Why you are leaving money on the table? Fat people would like to see them sunscreen. We would pay to go to the theater or get whatever streaming services that we need. If you are putting work out there that is showing fat people and a wide array of fat people living their lives, we will eat that shit up. Mm-hmm. We will. And it just boggles my mind that people are so resistant to this. Mm-hmm. And I'm... I'm telling you now, Hollywood, you're you're losing money. You're leaving money on the table by ignoring a huge subset of people that intersects with every other identity. You are losing money. Well, I would like to bring up one of the best movies of all time, The First Wives Club, where, yeah, (laughs) people don't agree with me. Whatever. Um, (laughs) I actually, what? That is his favorite movie. That is Jonah's favorite movie. It's a... Great taste. It's a fabulous movie. I also did recently hear someone say it's not as good as I remember, and I'm like, really? <laughs> um, I think it's. I think, uh, like plot. I don't care, but I think yeah. just all three of them. They. I could just watch. You could have said like, you have to dig a hole, and I <laughs> would just inhale watch. that. Yeah, watch them dig a hole. Yeah. Oh. I would. Oh gosh, they would fall in the hole. They would crawl out of the hole. But um, anyways, when that came out, it was like it was like an absurdly large grossing. It, it like I don't remember the numbers, but it was tremendous. And so the th- the three women were like they were like the producers of it, and they were like, "Oh yes, we would love to make uh, First Wives Club two. You know, like, let's make another one. And the studio said, oh, no, that was a fluke. That was a fluke. No, no, no. We're not going to. Literally, I, I, like, can look up the statistics. It was so freaking high. They literally, like, put the money. There's also, like, a, a documentary about, like, women in film and stuff and how, what what was it? Like, um, oh. It, there's a doc on it on Netflix about oh, uh, oh the Gina Davis Institute one yeah I believe so yes yes and how every time that like women do that fist pump of like we're getting somewhere everybody goes oh no that's a fluke like yeah and it and it actually ends spoiler alert y'all it came out a few years ago but it's mm-hmm. like actually uh, ends on quite a somber note where you they they make you think they finally and now women in film and then they like show you something and you're like, well, shit. Um, But I say all of that as an example of like, I feel like culture is showing us that like we want to see actors with fat bodies. We want to see different storylines. I don't want to just look at um, (laughs) Nicole Kidman. Love you. But like, how the (laughs) hell are you in everything right now? I'm like worried about Nicole Kidman. No, I like I like really feel like someone needs to check on her. Um, <laughs> like I don't understand how she's everywhere, but it's like, it's like what, like I think it's 
you know what I mean? Yeah. In, in yeah. My words. No, 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 no. I hear, I hear exactly what you're saying. It's like, we, this is what we want. And mm -hmm. there are many, 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 many of us watching things. And there are, unfortunately, the way these structures are set up, there are still very few people who hold the keys to the kingdom and mm -hmm. they all look and think often in a particular way. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's frustrating when you've got a world of people sort of asking for new kinds of stories with new kinds of characters that better reflect the world that we live in mm -hmm. and, you know, people at the top who are, for whatever reason, still saying no to that. But I, I, I do, again, I think we are leveling the playing field a little bit for better, for worse. I think things like social media, things like TikTok, things like, um, you know, having a camera in our pockets, you know, like the, the ability for people to make work um, mm -hmm. is unlike anything we've ever seen before, right? Like mm -hmm. we have, we have more capabilities than we've ever had. And that will push people at the top to pay attention because it's like, oh, yeah. wow, if, if that person is speaking to people in that way, why, why the fuck aren't we putting them in our movies? Like, cause you're dumb. <laughs> I, okay. I'm actually going to make you talk about something else. Okay. Um, you, you know, <laughs> all right. Stay with me, babe. I got you. <laughs> um, if you need to go, let me know. But I, I was just thinking, um, you know, like, I, I think there's a comedian called like Megan Stalter. I feel like uh, yeah, you've seen yeah. hats. Megan you've seen yeah, hats. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you have. How women who are not tiny, it's interesting mm -hmm. that for the most part, we only see them in comedies. It, 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 like, what do you think yeah. that's about? Do you think it's like, like how you feel like you had to maybe develop a sense of humor? So now it's like a superhero strength of yours. Do you think like, I don't see a lot of dramatic actors. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon for sure. I think that there is definitely, I mean, I think especially about um, Megan McCarthy, Melissa, Melissa McCarthy, God, not Megan, Melissa. I was like, that's the wrong name. Melissa McCarthy, um, Rebel Wilson, who um, is no longer fat, um, but was for a time. And, you know, I think of those two as very recent examples of that phenomenon of like, y'all are good at this. Y'all are good at acting. Um, and you are only doing, at least for a while, mm -hmm. uh, certain kinds of roles. I think that Hollywood is really good at dehumanizing people. Um, I think it's very good at defeminizing fat women. I think that making fat women funny is a way to strip us of some of our deeper, more nuanced humanity. Um, and I think that is something that Hollywood feels comfortable doing because it's something that has been done before, right? This, this mm -hmm. notion that I am less feminine, less beautiful, less complicated because I am fat is a really deep-seated ideology that predates Hollywood, um, but is perpetuated by it. And I think that Hollywood doesn't necessarily always believe that 
women can be both sexually attractive to men and funny to men at the same time. I think that the, I think that we're looking at two different schools of disservice. I think that we're looking at a school of disservice that says that fat women can't be beautiful, complicated, attractive, nuanced, smart, and funny. And also thin women cannot be beautiful, smart, attractive, complicated, nuanced, and funny. Like it's, it's this idea that we are, not whole people, but we are, and they're doing a really good job of making, you're not stereotypes anymore, right? It's not Madonna or whore anymore, but it's like, no, but you still, you turn our dials in these ways that are really frustratingly, subtly dehumanizing. And I just want the knobs off. <laughs> like, yeah. like I don't, I don't want to tweak the knobs anymore. I don't want to have knobs because I don't think male characters have to do that kind of calculus. They get to just be, they get to just be complicated and we have to watch it. And frankly, a lot of times we enjoy watching it. And so I, um, I think that the two, I think that the two things are related and I think that they're both sort of bullshit and I love being funny and I love making people laugh. And I, I'm happy to do roles that allow me to do that, but I can do other stuff also. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would also make me happy. And the thing that would make me happiest is for me and people who look like me and people who are fatter than me to get to lead projects and be the fucking center star of that solar system and have to do all of the complicated work of portraying a human being who is carrying a film or carrying a show. I have people all the time tell me that I remind them of Melissa McCarthy and I'm like, bitch, I'm Sandra Bullock, but you're not ready for that conversation. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And it's, it's fine. Like I'm happy to, I'm happy to tell people that when that conversation mm-hmm. comes up, cause it does all the time. But I am, as so many of us as actors are, we get pigeonholed into you're like this, you're like this, you're like this. And it's almost always having to do with what we physically look like. And if you took 10 more seconds to just talk to us, watch our work, see what we can do, you'd realize that first of all, we're an entirely new thing, but we might actually be more reminiscent of a different kind of actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, you know, in my case, who's just not fat, but it, it's really hard for people to get over that. <laughs> no, but you're Melissa McCartney. It's like, I, no, I'm not. <laughs> I, she does things that I really don't think I could do. I, I think that the, I think that we have to get away from language around regular body, normal body. Um, People who are like, we have clothes for everybody and you stop at 3XL. What does that say to people who are above a 3XL that they just aren't included in your definition of every body? Mm -hmm. Like we are on a planet with people in physical circumstances that are varied and diverse and beautifully so. And 
the idea that anyone is considered normal for any reason Mm -hmm. necessitates that someone else is abnormal. Mm -hmm. And that's not a way that we should be looking at or treating our fellow human beings. And so a lot of the work of fat politics is about that kind of language, right? About how, how do we talk about bodies? How do we stop making a a particular body size or a particular body condition automatically considered diseased or wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like I I hate going to the doctor because they see me as sick and I'm not sick actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um and and it's and it's hard to to do that and and, and that is not the language of like, you know, Hollywood. Like that's, we're going deeper than that, right? We're getting Mm -hmm. into medicine. We're getting into the fabric of society. So um, I, yeah, I, no one's body is normal. Mine Mm -hmm. isn't, yours isn't, um, Jennifer Lawrence's isn't, right? They are our bodies and they change also. And I, um, I just want, I don't want it to feel weird when someone sees a body like mine on screen. I don't want mm-hmm. to be like, Ooh, look at that. How about that? Wonder, wonder what, what's up with her. Wonder what, yeah. how this is going to affect That's the storyline. Yeah. What's happening there? You know? Yeah. It's just like, Oh, here we go. Yeah. It's just a human. Um, I just want to say, I'm going to use this audio clip one day. I'm seeing like you TV show opening shot and it's the Tootsie shot and you can steal this. It's the Tootsie shot. And you're just like walking through and then like the title card comes through and and it's like, nah. and it's like Madison. And then it's like a whole TV show. And then you can use this audio clip over it. Cause I, I feel like your brain, I mean, you're making like a lot of shorts and stuff, but I think like a lot of things that you're saying sound very long form, like these arcs and these stories, I think, uh, taking like a life of its own um, and like getting to like live in those worlds with those characters. Also like post-citrus, make it a movie. Like, like you know what? Let's, maybe I, I will. Maybe. Okay. Well, um, Madison, thank you so much. You've just put such a smile on my face. You are fabulous. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always um, such a an honor to be asked to speak uh, about myself. Uh, so I no I opportunity. No, you you did fabulous, and I knew I knew you would. And I'm pro- I'm gonna record the intro later. But literally, if you ever come up, people just go, "I love Madison," and I'm, <laughs> it's like I'm like, yeah, no, she seems great, and everyone's like, no, I love Madison, and, and then yeah, it's just, and so I knew this was gonna be. All this like hammering upstairs. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a gem to edit. Um, Madison, thank you for giving me part of your day. And I Have a good day. You too. Bye. I'll see you soon. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the millionth time to Madison for talking to me. Thank you to y'all for listening. Hopefully, um, you got something you liked out of it. Um, 
Hopefully, I'm sure you did. Madison had many great thoughts and I enjoyed uh, re-listening to her multiple, multiple times. Okay, um, please leave me a little five-star review if you enjoyed on Apple or Spotify. Uh, Send this to a friend. Feel free to share it on your socials. And uh, don't forget to follow Madison Hatfield on Instagram at madhat31 like um mad hatter kind of deal and then peach jam pictures and for the first time i am at rebecca botter uh the instagram used to be the search for pink for a very long time we actually changed that during the interim so wild times your girl's growing she's knock on wood got some things coming up so that's why i changed it um i love you guys so much thank you for listening biggest honor in the world to let me uh, play through your little AirPods. All right. I love you guys and have a great rest of your day.